0: Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L dot com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. So happy to have you all here, whether it's on soundcloud itunes google music play if you're with us here live right now on youtube if you're with us on facebook and instagram we are just so happy and twitter even too (laughs) happy to have you here uh i'm jc is taking the day off we are having some sound issues with his microphone so hopefully we'll get him back soon but we wanted to i wanted to do a special show today you know that uh I always tell you we're a teach show and not a talk show. And so today we're going to do a little bit more teaching than talking. Now I want to do a a sort of catch up on the COVID thing. Just a little brief thing. But I do first want to say happy birthday to my baby Colton. (laughs) My baby turned 14 today. Today he starts his 15th year and I'm so, so proud of him. He's a little bit... Bummed that we didn't get to have a party, but I told I promised him after the uh, after the apocalypse we would have a big party. But he has had he's had a great day anyway. He's had his friends texting him and he's been online playing with uh, friends and their games and stuff. And you know I already sound like a big mom because <laughs> I have no idea you know Fortnite and stuff like that. Whatever. They're having fun, and they're having fun together, and I'm happy for them. Also, we have the best church in the whole world. The youth pastors did a drive-by birthday party for him. Drove up with balloons and presents, and we sang happy birthday. And man, I'm just, I just, I feel really, 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 really blessed. Really blessed to uh, have such a great kid and such a great church family. Thank you, everybody, for your birthday wishes for my Colton. <laughs> well, I wanted to, I wanted to just talk about COVID for something uh, for a few minutes. There are some things that I just want us to think about as we are hopefully coming to the end of this. We know the CDC has promised that it will come back in the fall, and that we should, you know, we're still going to be. Uh, subject to it and who knows what's going to happen what they're going to try to do then i mean seriously the flu comes every fall and whether you have a vaccination or not you are going to get the flu or maybe you won't but the the bottom line is if we live in fear forever we're never going to be america again we're going to be something else and i don't want to be that something else I'm not going to submit to any mandatory vaccinations. I'm not going to submit to any, uh, mandatory anything. I mean, this stuff is just absolutely crazy. Now here's the thing that I hope that we will push for. You see, we need to get some real flu statistics here. We need to get some real figures from people who don't have a vested interest in it, from people who don't make money from disease. So Bill Gates doesn't count. The CDC doesn't count. The NIH doesn't count. Uh, Dr. Fauci doesn't count. Let me go ahead and pull this up for you, so you can you can absolutely see. This. this is this is insane. I want you guys to see this picture. And for those of you who are just listening, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, uh, oh, we got it. I'm gonna go ahead and explain it to you. So, in the Gates Foundation, oh, that one works better, ready? thegatesfoundation.org, guess who is a member of the Leadership Council? Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of NIAID, who is part of the National Institutes of Health. How are all of these people not subject and suspect in their opinions. This is called conflict of interest. For Bill Gates to be giving any assessment on this virus and giving any advice on how we should deal with this virus is suspect and conflict of interest in the very least. It is not a credible source. Dr. Fauci is not a credible source. He's going to make money from the Gates Foundation on sickness. The CDC makes all their money on sickness. The NIH makes all their money on sickness. The World Health Organization makes all their money on sickness. They don't get money if people don't get sick. Now they've figured out how to make money even if people don't get sick. You make people afraid of getting sick. And then you create a, vi- uh, a, a vaccination from the virus that you created. And then you make sure that everybody has to have it. And if everybody has to have it, what a big boondoggle, right? What an amazing, amazing. You want to watch the money in this? Let me show you this. This is JC's. JC's not here with me today. But this is JC's uh, Instagram page. So I want you guys t- to see this. Little Scholars Child Development Center got $700,000 of your tax dollars in the stimulus money. You know, the COVID stimulus money. Seven hundred of your tax dollars went to this, this daycare in Capitol Hill. If you're watching us on YouTube, you get to see it on the little map thing. It's a child daycare center at 601 East Capitol Street, Southeast, Washington, D.C., So if you have children in daycare, how much did your daycare get? Because this one got $700,000. How about this one? Tiny findings, learning, nurturing, nurturing, professionalism, quality and trust. The Government Accountability Office daycare got 20 million of your tax dollars in the relief bill. Okay, for 110 children. That's $182,000 for each child, and yet we're supposed to be happy over the crumbs because the feds are going to give us $1,200. Can you imagine that? $20 million for the one, $700,000 for the other. Here we are, people. Here we are. In the midst of a pandemic crisis where we're told bodies will be in the streets, life is over as we know it, the most important thing you can do is to keep yourself at home, not at the Child Care Center, at home, keep yourself safe, and we have the money that's supposed to be Igniting the, the uh, economy because of COVID, $700,000 to a DC daycare and $20 million to a daycare in the government accountability office building. Come on, people. We need numbers from people who don't make money from people being sick. Everything else Everything else is self-interest. Everything else is conflict of interest. Everything else is suspect. Not only that, we need to see numbers that are real. Okay? So I want to see the number of... When they talk about the number of people who have died from COVID, I want to see statistics of the number of people who died from COVID only. And then the number of people who died from underlying health issues. Okay. Those are the numbers that we really need. Those are the ones that really matter. Everything else is all suspect and propaganda. Do you ever ask yourself why we don't get the information that we actually need? to make us responsibly decisive people on staying healthy. You ever wonder why we're not getting the numbers, the real accurate numbers? I think when you think about that, when you when you actually try to line up the answers with that question, you will figure out what is wrong with this entire process. I do want to say that we are praying for Boris Johnson. I I just I pray that it's it's uh, better than what we're being told. I pray that God will heal him. He has a very very big task in front of him. He is freeing his people from the European Union pharaoh and their oppression and slavery of being in the European Union. And I just pray that he makes a speedy, speedy recovery. As I do everybody who's affected by this disease. And I pray for a, 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 a quick recovery for every American home, both physically and economically and spiritually. The American people are not gonna tolerate this much longer. We are not Europeans. You cannot lock us in a box. We are wide open spaces, people. We've lived with liberty and freedom for way too long. And there's a lot of pushback coming already. Not just from people, but people who have positions to make a difference. We're seeing sheriffs push back. Sheriffs saying, I'm not enforcing this garbage. We're seeing leaders saying, you're not going to mandatory, you're you're, you're not going to mandate vaccinations on me, and you're certainly not going to mandate vaccinations on our people. You see, there's one thing that I want to see come out of all of this. I think what what this disease has done, what the panic over this disease has done, is made the American people abundantly aware of how much power our government has seized over our lives, our private property, over matters they have no business in. I am hoping that when the panic passes and we can get back to life as usual, that we can take a good hard look at the, at the laws and the statutes put in place in our states and start stripping our counties, our cities, and our state governments of the power that they've written in for themselves. I'm going to tell you, I was absolutely stunned. I was absolutely amazed. I was absolutely mind blown when I started reading Florida statutes on emergency powers. See, I'm hoping that people will actually start looking at this stuff. You don't have to be a lawyer to read this stuff. You don't have to be a lawyer to look at this and think, wow, this is nuts. Who would seriously do this? Our Florida statute says that the the state director of health can use whatever force is necessary to vaccinate someone. No due process, mind you. No trial by a jury of your peers. No ability to challenge this. Just complete, exclusive, unchecked power in the hands of one guy. One guy leading a team of bureaucratic tyrants who will march up to your home. And tell you, you have to get vaccinated. Now, I personally think that if something like that happened, I don't know, I think it might be war in the streets. And I think that they're smarter than that. So they'll do the Bill Gates plan, right? The Bill Gates plan, the one that says, if you want to travel, you've got to be able to prove that you're vaccinated. If you want to be involved in any public uh, assemblies if you want to go to a rock concert you want to go to a grocery store you want to go to church you're going to have to prove that you've been vaccinated can I remind you of something even the flu vaccination that we have does not prevent you from getting the flu because there are so many different strains can I also remind you that COVID-19 The 19 means this is the 19th version of this virus. So they're going to make you get this vaccination or going to try to make you get that vaccination. Because as my husband says, hello, you've got to be glad you have that authority to use whatever power is necessary because we'll go to jail and it'll be over our dead bodies. Before you force vaccinate us. And that's the bottom line. Sherry says, How about fake papers? Well, fake papers won't work because Bill Gates' whole plan is to put a, a microchip, right? That's why Bill Gates has, has an, a vested interest in all of this and, and he's completely lacks credibility. Sure, he's going to hype all this up, right? Of course, he's going to hype all this up because he's going to make money off of the chip that he puts in your arm. To prove that you've had the vaccination, can you imagine? You got to go in the grocery store. You got to scan. You're gonna to go to the concert. You got to scan. Maybe, maybe even you got to have you got to scan before your car will start. Hey, don't tell me that's not possible. They have these devices that attach to vehicles to people who have been charged with drunk drinking and driving. Have you been convicted of a DUI? They can put this thing on your car. That makes you blow into the thing on your car before it'll start. Your car won't start until you blow in it. And if you blow in it and you've got too much alcohol in your system, your car won't start. So how much easier would it be to make an electronic device that scans your wrist to make sure you've been vaccinated or or whatever? Whatever. Seriously, what is the limit to government power after this? I mean, that's something that should really, really sink down into our brains. What is the limit to government power after this? I mean, for decades they've been pushing the envelope and bringing us out uh, further and further and further, you know? I mean, FDR seizes all the private gold of the people. We're, we're, you know, we're cool with that, you know? What? It was necessary. We were at war. It was the thing, right? then guess what? We got to we gotta put all the Americans who have Japanese DNA in their body, we got to put them in an internment camp without due process. No, 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 it's all right, it's all right. It's only temporary. You know, sorry, Mr. Korematsu, we realized you were actually born here in America, but you got Japanese DNA, and we're at war with Japan, so because of your DNA, we can't trust you, so go live in this camp for four years or more. Because, you know, when you're sitting in the internment camp because you got Japanese DNA, you're not really counting the days at the end of four years. Because at that point in time, you don't even know at four years you're going to be done. This is, this is an indefinite thing. You know, people got their uh, all worked up about the Patriot Act allowing indefinite detention of American citizens. My goodness, we did it during World War II. Mass indefinite detention. Not just adults either. Men, women, and Children. Children were born in those camps. People died in those camps. Over four years, many of those people were in those camps. Every day, every single day was an indefinite detention. Because you never knew when you were going to get out or if you were going to get out. So then you fast forward, right? The towers fall, people freak out. Sure, there's been intrusions along the way. All, you know, I mean, all these things always happen gradually. They're building blocks. They're just a simple another brick in the wall. So they happen so slowly we don't even notice them. We don't even notice that we don't have presidential elections that are constitutional anymore. That was another gift from FDR. That our presidents and our vice presidents are supposed to have two separate ballots according to the 12th Amendment. But what big deal? Who does, who cares? I mean, we only have two parties anyway that really matter. And then if we, you know, it, it just makes voting easier. You got them all in the same spot. Who cares? I mean, what difference does it make anyway? Oh, what's that, that, that Federal Reserve note that I carry that magic paper? Sure is a lot easier to carry paper than it is to carry those metal coins, man. I tell you what, your purse gets heavy. How do you carry them in your wallet? I am sure am grateful for that paper money. And look at it. They're all the same size. They all look the same. They've got magic numbers on them. Then we get Patriot Act, right? So then we can search and seize people without any kind of warrants. Who needs a stinking warrant, right? And after all, what do you have to hide? Seriously, if you're not breaking the law, if you're not actually a potential domestic terrorist, then, then why don't you just open your doors and let the government come in and search? Why do you care if they're looking at your cell phone and reading your emails and watching your internet searches? Seriously, let's not forget about all the cameras on our roads, all the cameras taking pictures of us as we we go down the road, taking pictures of in our cars, taking pictures of our license plates, being told that they've been doing this since 2008, right? Who cares you know I'm not I'm not it's not like I'm riding around with with uh, Manson or or you know I don't know some some terrorist person I don't have Che Guevara in my car with me oh but he's not a bad guy anymore anyway either I'm just showing you how these building blocks work I'm just showing you how this all piles together before you even know it Then your states are in the background, writing up all these emergency statutes, you know, in case of emergency. How do you deal with that? Of course you need to be able to deal with emergency on a government level. Surely that's what we have government for, to ease us through emergencies. So they're, they're watching our cars. They're building up databases of our faces and the faces of the people with us and our license plates. And they're, they're tracking where we go. And hey, you know what? I'm not going to any bad meetings. I'm not doing anything wrong. Until you are. Well, not in America, Chrisanne. That won't happen in America. We don't do that kind of stuff in America. We just search and seize people without warrants. We got a guy... His name is Roger Stone, right? And who cares about Roger Stone? Cause he likes Donald Trump. And obviously, if he likes Donald Trump, then he must be a bad guy, right? So he's charged with what? Lying. How do you, how do you, how does Congress charge a man with lying? It's like that pot calling the kettle black. Well, he's charged with lying. He's a 66-year-old man with no guns in his house. We know that because we have to have all our guns registered, right? We have to make sure that the government knows all the guns that we have because that's what keeps us safe, government knowing the stuff that we have. And so this guy's charged with lying to the government, and we got to arrest him. So it takes 17 vehicles, SWAT teams, and a special forces frog team to swim up the channel behind his house to arrest this 66 year old man, charged with lying, who has no guns. Well, you know, he's a bad guy, right? Well, no, the government's sending a message. Manafort goes to jail, goes to prison for what? Checking the wrong box on his taxes Come on now you gotta go And and read about your federal taxes There's not a single person in America Files their tax return that doesn't commit At least two counts of perjury to do it So don't tell me that What happened to Manafort won't happen to you Your time's just not up You're, You're just not threatening enough to them You're just not dangerous enough to them See, I'm already dangerous enough. They already hate me. They sent, me the, sent the Southern Poverty Law Center after me to call me an anti-government extremist hate group. They sent the Southern Poverty Law Center after me to call me a white supremacist. So, you know, it's just a matter of time before Chris Ann gets on some kind of list somewhere, as if I'm not already. But don't worry, that's a, that won't happen in America because we've got a Constitution. And we've got a Bill of Rights. So then you get the Patriot Act, right? We're good. We're good. You know, no more Al-Qaeda terrorists. No more ISIS terrorists. Anybody ever hear about the terrorism problem that we're having these days? No, we've moved on to a new crisis. Why? Because we've got all the blocks in place that we could actually, that those in power could actually glean from the whole ISIS the whole Al-Qaeda thing. They've exhausted that issue now. They've got all their little pieces, puzzle pieces in place. Now we've got to bring it up a notch. Bam! Like Emeril says. We've got to give us this new threat. The invisible enemy. Right? You can see ISIS. They're way over there, right? You can see Al-Qaeda. They just come, you know, and blow up buildings. But now we need an invisible enemy, an invisible enemy that threatens you, your life directly. Because Al-Qaeda doesn't threaten you directly and ISIS doesn't threaten you directly. I mean, they threaten TV, right? You know, they go to those places. They don't come to your house. But now we need an invisible enemy that will threaten you. So then guess what? Then we put laws into place that keep people from leaving their house. No, I don't have to post a guard at their door because the fear, the panic is the guard. And the people say, please, please, please keep me safe. Please, please, please keep me safe. I don't want to die from the panic virus. Oh, whatever it takes. Government to keep me safe. I mean, that's what we do when the towers fell. That's how George Bush got the Patriot Act. That, by the way, was supposed to go away when George Bill Bush left office. How many of you remember that? That the Patriot Act was supposed to sunset when George Bush let, left office. Good luck with that. That should be our number one proof. Oh, look, I'm giving Um-Lati, Illuminati signals. Let me make. Let me get all my Illuminati signals out of the way just to let the people get, you know, Ready? Okay, good. Because I talk with my hands. You're going to have to get over it. That's how the Patriot Act got into place. The people got scared. Give me all, do whatever you have to do to keep me safe. government said, yeah, that's what we're waiting for. And there you have it. And it was supposed to sunset. And that should be proof number one. Well, it should be proof one billion and one. That guess what? Once you give power to government, you don't get it back. Not in any way, shape or form. The Patriot Act was supposed to be temporary. How's that working out for you? And now we've got all this other stuff. And that's a really good question, Granny Gamer. Why do they keep comparing this pandemic to war? Because you have to have war to make money. War is a scary thing. Since World War II, I mean, I don't have a time to give you a history lesson on World War II, but it's amazing the liberties we handed over after World War II because the people were terrified of having another global war. And here we are with the war in the invisible enemy that causes us to do to engage in the greatest tyranny we know the self imprisonment of the people through invisible shackles that they put on themselves because the government says you need to be safe so here's what I want to do here's what I want to do I want to take you through very quickly one of the courses that I have at Liberty First University. So this course, if you are a Liberty First University student, or you're contemplating being a Liberty First University student, this course is called America Disarmed. I'm actually going to teach it to you. I've got the PowerPoint set up here and everything. Now, I'm not going to be able to go through the whole thing. But I just want to run through it really quickly. You want, you need the details, so you need to go to libertyfirstuniversity.com and get this. Okay? But I want to show you some things. Because Patrick Henry said, I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is the lamp of experience. I know no way to judge the future but by the past. Let me make sure I have this right one up here. Nope. This one. All right. There. Woohoo, Look, I'm still here. Ha-ha. <laughs> Hello from the corner of the screen. So this is from Patrick Henry's Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech. I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided and that is the lamp of experience. I know no way to judge the future but by the past. So we need to understand this history. This is, again, I'm going to show you this because this is the course at libertyfirstuniversity.com. You need to go see libertyfirstuniversity.com to get the whole the, the whole course but it's called One Town Disarmed and as much as this is about the disarming of the people it's more about the gradual taking of the people's rights over a time frame all couched in the premise of necessity So remember, we're going to go through this history class and I'm going to show you how this all works. Now what you need to understand is that the French and Indian War from 1754 to 1763 doubled the British national debt. Okay? Doubled it. And so here's what happens. Parliament goes about passing some taxes to be uh, placed on the American colonies, okay? Now, the idea is we just spent all this money. There we go. I'm putting it this way. We just spent all this money to protect our colonies on the American continent in this French and Indian War. So, since we've doubled our national debt to defend these colonies, then then the American colonies need to pay this back. Now, there's a problem with this. There's a multifold problem with this. Problem number one, okay? Problem number one when you live in a kingdom, all of the resources that were coming from the American colonies were being sent over by percentage to the British government so that they could distrib- distribute the prosperity among the kingdom. See, I man, that's the whole idea of a kingdom. The kingdom is the central government and it is a form of kind of socialist government where everybody is, a, you know, participates in the wealth of everybody else. And so when you defend the American colonies, what you're actually doing is defending a prosperity that goes to the whole kingdom. And wars across that the kingdom inv- inv- is involved in to protect its territories Are supposed to be funded by the entire kingdom because the entire kingdom benefits from the land being protected. But in this particular case, Parliament said, no, we're going to make the American colonies pay the whole debt back. So that's problem number one. Problem number two the Parliament was refusing to allow the British, uh, the American. Colonists, who were British subjects, mind you, were refusing to allow them to have representatives in Parliament. Now, since 1215, since the creation of the Royal Council under King John, British subjects are guaranteed in writing, by decree, which is law, that there'll be no taxation without representation. The Royal Council created in 1215 would eventually become Parliament. And so, since 1215, now look at where look at look at where we are. We are now at uh, well 1760, right? 545 years. Guaranteed as Englishmen, no taxation without representation but parliament is telling the American colonists it's too inconvenient for you to elect someone. They're saying, look, you realize that if you elect a representative, then you have to put them on a boat and you have to send them over here. Now, this is not like hopping on a jet and, and flying from, from uh, JFK to, to get, uh, Heathrow or Gatwick. It's not what this is about, okay? You're getting on a boat. It's a treacherous trip that takes months. And guess what? Some people don't live through the trip. So what happens then? Now you've elected somebody. They're on their way over. They die on the way. You won't know that they died until they actually get to where they're going. And then somebody can send you a message, which takes an enormous amount of time. You find out. Then you gotta start the whole process over. You gotta elect somebody, put them on a boat, send them over there, hope they live. What if they get over there and you have to, you don't want to re-elect them, then the whole process starts over. What if they get over there, they die, then the whole process starts over? Parliament says that impedes the proper operation of government way too much. You will make the rest of the kingdom wait on your representatives. And that's just not fair to everybody else. So as a matter of necessity, we have to pass this tax on you because there's no other way to do it. And by the way, Parliament says to the American colonists, don't worry. You're represented here in Parliament because we have people who have volunteered. Raise their hands. Well, I do it. Volunteered to represent the American colonists in Parliament. Now, the American colonists are getting way fed up with this way 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 fed up with this they're like look come on now how is it that you think that those people over there making laws to be enforced on us over here and they never have to come over here and live under the laws that they make excuse me i don't know what school you went to but that's not representation if the people who make the laws do not have to be subject to the laws that they make, then they do not represent you. They only represent themselves and their own special interests. Let me show you what Thomas Paine said about this whole war thing. Taxes were not raised to carry on wars. Wars were raised to carry on taxes. Granny wanted to, uh, gr- Granny asked us, why is it that the, um, They are calling this war. Well, Thomas Paine is telling you right there, Granny. To raise, to to collect taxes. They have to call it war to collect taxes. Not only that. Did you catch that little, what Jefferson would call that self-evident truth? That if the people who are making the laws are not subject to the laws that they make, then they do not represent you. Can you imagine how different America would be today if just that little kernel of self-evident truth had been taught in our schools? Different laws for different people. How many times do we see that on a daily basis? Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, James Comey, I mean, seriously. We have, uh, what's his name, Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch. The list goes on and on and on and on and on of government people who are not held by the same standard as average day Americans. And when that happens, that ought to be the awakening to us that we don't live in a just government anymore. We live in an oligarchy. Where the people who make the laws are not subject to the laws that they make. We are not a representative government. Well, let me explain to you how this stacking works, right? So remember, we have the money that has to be paid back to the treasury from the French and Indian War. We're going to collect the taxes to do that. And who cares if you have a right, a constitutional right to representation, taxation through representation? This is a matter of necessity. It's a matter of national security because you see, when you have a doubled national debt, see, this is the little part of debt that they don't teach American people. The more you're in debt, the greater you are, the greater threat of foreign governments is to you. Your national security is in greater and greater jeopardy with more debt you accumulate. I mean, all these, these crazy things they're trying to do to us for national security purposes, you know, all the intrusions upon our liberties and their spending is a greater threat to our national security than anything that I could possibly do on the internet. But they don't talk about that right so you have to collect this debt it's a matter of national security so you know we got to collect our taxes let's back up a little bit the navigation act of 1660 maybe you didn't pay attention to it because there wasn't really anything going on so here's the thing the navigation act of 1660 reads from thence forward no goods or commodities whatsoever shall be imported into or exported out of any lands, islands, plantations, or territories to his majesty's majesty belonging or his possessions, but in such ships or vessels as truly and without fraud belong to the people of England. Now what you have to understand is all of these colonies are, well, the majority of these colonies are built by charters. These charters are letters that come from corporations, come from the king himself. I will fund you this trip. And then when you get there, you will get a stipend. But while you're there and you're building your communities, once you're settled, you have to start paying me back. Well, since I'm funding this trip, I am going to mandate that you only purchase the items that I approve of. You cannot take any items off the Spanish ships. You can't take any items off the Dutch ships. You can't take any items off the French ships. You can only buy goods from English ships approved by the English government. Now, this is the government mandating purchases, creating monopolies. You would call them private-public purchases. Uh, Public-private partnerships today, right? So you have these private companies that are partnered with the government to bring goods so that the government, in a public-private partnership, always, this is even true in 2020, when there is a public-private partnership, the government controls everything with immunity. You can't sue them. It's called sovereign immunity. No, no, The king can do no wrong. So, the American colonists are very, very upset about this taxation without representation. They're beginning to understand the tyranny of the mandated purchases and the government-created monopolies and the public-private partnerships. So they're starting to push back, and they're creating underground markets So that they can buy the things that they want to buy to refuse to pay the taxes. They're boycotting the taxes because the taxes are consumption taxes. Okay, It's not a property tax, it's a consumption tax. You have to pay the consumption tax because the consumption tax is levied upon the goods that are coming in on the English ships. So if you buy the government mandated goods, you can't avoid paying the taxes. The American colonists protesting the taxes because they were a direct violation of their rights created an underground market where they started uh, you know, selling things, making things, and selling things to each other that they got from other ships or uh, through contraband means, through black market means. Now, this created a problem for the British government because guess what? What good is a tax if you can't collect it? So in 1760, the British government passed a law called writs of assistance. Now, these writs of assistance were handwritten warrants placed into the hands of tax collectors and customs agents, these colonists who worked for the government. And basically what it was, a handwritten warrant, was a blank sheet of paper that said, guess what? I am, uh, by the authority vested in me, what's your name? Oh, okay. By the authority vested in me, Colonist Smith, I will now search your property for contraband and seize anything I find illegal, signed me. Now, let me mention to you, because I can't assume that everybody who is listening to this right now has had my history of the Constitution class, Okay. You need to have the history of the Constitution class at Liberty First University so you can see how all of this works. There's so much in the background here that you just can't, uh, the richness, I mean, you're going to get this, but the richness of it, 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 you're not going to get. So let me just mention to you, since 1215, clauses 38 through 41 in the Magna Carta, British subjects were to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures of their property without due process. So the whole Fourth Amendment thing is not some invention of our founders. This is an evolution of English law. English law that had been in place for 500 years. 550 years, by the way. And so here we have the British government now writing a law undoing what was constitutionally recognized in writing as an undeniable right of all british citizens but it's okay it's only temporary and we have to because we have these people who are refusing to pay their fair share complete arbitrary power no due process no check and balance and now as you can see on your screen of the pictures that are are, were put in place at the time these are actual paintings of the people representing what was happening in their homes you have greedy agents oh I'm just an overworked underpaid government worker and this guy inherited all his wealth that's not fair so since I have the power to search and seize with no consequences a sovereign immunity I'm just going to go take what I want and fare out the playing field. Many of these agents were driven by greed and vengeance and malice. The taxes were on things like linen, lumber, sugar, tea, paper, and ink. So the agents were supposed to be searching for linen, lumber, sugar, tea, paper, and ink that were purchased on the black market. But that's not all they were taking. And I'll try to speak above young ears so they can't understand. And when I tell you, you should know. They weren't just seizing linen, lumber, sugar, tea, paper, and ink. They were seizing our wives and daughters. One man, the first man to stand, James Otis Jr., was a government attorney who was in charge of ensuring that the Crown's laws were enforced and the violators were properly prosecuted. James Otis Jr. could not do his job because he knew that these writs of assistance, these unlawful searches and seizures of the people's property without due process, violations of the privacy of their homes and their property, taking their stuff, was so offensive to liberty that he had to resign his post that he'd been given by the king, by the way. He called these warrants the worst instruments of arbitrary power, the most destructive to English liberty ever found and fundamental principles of law that was ever found in an English law book. Now we have something like them today. It's called civil asset forfeiture. And we don't recognize that civil asset forfeiture is exactly what James Otis Jr. called the worst instruments of arbitrary power. Because we don't teach James Otis Jr. anymore. We don't teach the history that made America choose Liberty First. Now there's a whole wonderful story at Liberty First University about James Otis Jr. in this class. I just simply don't have time to get into this today. But I want you to make sure that you get into Liberty First University so you can hear this. Now James Otis Jr., brings up a lawsuit against an agent that was particularly egregious. Rape, pillage, and plunder. He would argue five hours in the courtroom only to have a bunch of cowardice, pusillanimous judges do the most wicked thing that could have been done. They said, we've heard the claims of Otis and his client. We've heard the laws of the Crown And we've decided to take the matter under advisement, meaning Otis has just put his life on the line, his reputation on the line, everything on the line, and the judges aren't even gonna give him a verdict and nothing's gonna change. The whole power stays the same. The whole search and seizure stays the same. You see, the moment Otis filed that suit, the British government conveniently forgot that he resigned his post. They charged him with treason for abandoning his post, which means he's now subject to be, you know, shot dead on sight. He was outcast in his community. The people and the other lawyers in the legal field told him that he was going to never practice law again unless he stopped bucking the government. He was told, Otis, what are you, what are you fighting for? Are you one of these tax evaders? Are you one of these people that doesn't want to follow the order of law? Come on now, how hard is it to obey the law? It's for the good of your neighbor. You should, you're a Christian man. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Just obey the law. What have you got to hide, Otis? Otis merely responded I don't have anything to hide. I have everything to preserve. He said, Consequences be as they may, I am determined to proceed. Because he knew. The wickedness he was facing in the law. In spite of the people in the community. Because I want you to know this is 1761. There's no Sons of Liberty. There's no committees of correspondence. Yes, Samuel Adams is alive. James Adams is alive. Dr. Warren is alive. George Washington is alive. But they're not liberty fighters. There's no liberty movement. There's only James Otis Jr. And because of this stand, he will earn the name of honor from our founders as being the midwife to liberty. This man stood alone against the most powerful government on the planet and said, I will not obey a law that is, is stealing the liberties and the rights of the people and I will fight you till my last dying breath. That, those were his words out of that courtroom, even though Otis didn't win, out of that courtroom, Samuel Adams, James Warren, and James Otis Jr. started the committees of correspondence. They were so supercharged by the, the courage and wisdom of James Otis Jr. that they said, we can't sit still anymore, cannot sit still anymore. Why did they create the committees of correspondence? To educate the people that what the government was doing was wrong. You see, I don't know why we sometimes think we've cornered the market on dumb education, but government's been in the business of dumbing down its people since government was created in the beginning. Keep the people dumb, keep them comfortable, And you can do anything you want. And Samuel Adams and his Committees of Correspondence were going to change all of that. Listen to what he says. The Committees of Correspondence were the creation of groups to disseminate truth to prevent the government from, quote, perverting the judgment of men. That's Samuel Adams. The first Committee of Correspondence was birthed in 1764. Then in 1765, the Stamp Act was passed by Parliament to undermine the underground movement. We're now going to affix a stamp on all the legally purchased items so that the Customs agents and the tax collectors, when they raid their homes, they can't be accused of of abusing their power, right? They're only going to confiscate the stuff that doesn't have the proper stamp on it. Because if it doesn't have the proper stamp on it, then obviously it's a violation of the law, and you have to obey the law, right? Even a tyrannical one? Well, our founders said no, because they would create a stamp of their own. And if you're watching here on YouTube, you can see the stamp at the bottom. The stamp at the bottom doesn't look anything like the stamp at the top. The stamp at the bottom is a skull and crossbones that says around it, "Oh, the fatal stamp," an emblem of, of uh, I, I can't read that word. The emblem of uh something of the stamp, right? So they didn't try to, f- they didn't try to counterfeit the federal government stamp right that's the federal government that's what the british government was they had a central government in the crown they didn't try to counterfeit that stamp they were making a protest statement oh that's right here it is an, an, an emblem of the effects of the stamp which is the cr- skull and crossbones why why does the stamp tax deserve the emblem of a skull and crossbones Let me try to connect some dots for you. Because these were public-private partnerships strangling the local businessmen and their economies. It was the government telling the local businessmen how to run their business and whether they could run their business or not. What if your business was dependent upon something that you could only get from Spanish trips or ships or, or, or Dutch ships? Well, guess what? You can't have your business. It was the death. Of liberty. Anybody who violated this law could be arrested and then placed into prison ships to await their trial. You know, we don't have to have a speedy trial now because we're in a, an insurrection, right? So we're in the midst of an insurrection. We have people who are engaging in civil disobedience, and, and this is a domestic war now so we don't we we can we can suspend habeas corpus which by the way is not an invention of the american constitution or american law habeas corpus the right to a speedy trial was something that the englishmen were guaranteed over twice the number of patriots died aboard british prison ships than died in combat during our war for independence. 11,000 people died in these prison ships waiting their trial. And only 4,500 died in our American Revolution. So let's check the progress of government now because your American history textbooks will teach you that the Boston Tea Party was about taxes on tea. That is a lie. That is a lie to keep you dumb that is a lie to keep you pacified. That is a lie to keep you comfortable. That if your taxes aren't high enough, then there's no reason to protest. Who cares what else is happening around you? As long as your money is in your hand, you're good to go. The reality is what we have is taxation without representation, mandated purchases. This is 17, you know, 65 now. Taxation without representation, mandated purchases, denial of due process, and a government with unlimited exercise of power over the people. This is why we went to war with our own government for independence. Now, the Sons of Liberty are birthed from the Committees of Correspondence. And they start the protests. So you have the Committees of Correspondence, they're like the the, uh, education group. And the Sons of Liberty are like the action pack, right? So in the uh, committees of correspondence, you get all the wisdom you need to see how tyrannical the government is, how the government is violating the law, not the people. Then the committees, then the the Sons of Liberty, who can't sit still anymore and watch the tyranny, birth out and create the Sons of Liberty, and they start the protest. Now, their protests were not like our signs, you know, on the Capitol and, oh, you know, please let us uh, have our Constitution, please save our Constitution, please don't violate our Constitution, and then we invite Washington, D.C. people to come and talk to us. Meanwhile, they're violating our Constitution, right? How do you invite the people to encourage you in a rally when they're the same people who are violating your rights with their votes. I've never been able to wrap my brain around that whole that whole worship of, of politicians. Haven't been able to do that. Their protests were mock hangings of their tax collectors. They made like little scarecrows and dressed up these these stuffed scarecrows in the clothes of their tax collectors and customs agents. They went through great detail to make sure that the stuffed dummy looked exactly like the guy they wanted to talk to, talk about. Because they wanted to make sure they everybody knew who was hanging from that noose. Now today we'd be like, "Oh my goodness, that's terrible." But you see the whole purpose of a protest is to make people ashamed of what they're doing. We've yet to have a protest yet in America. We've either had a a rally where we actually celebrate the people who violate our Constitution, or we have riots where lawless people smash cars and burn down donut shops. A protest is when you call out these people by name regardless of their political affiliation. Republican or Democrat, if they vote for this stimulus bill, they are making an immoral vote, period. I don't know how much more of the stimulus bill I can show you to to really enlighten you on how immoral that bill is. And to vote for it has to be an immoral act, period. A protest is to make someone so ashamed of what they're doing, they don't wanna do it anymore. Well, because of the protests, George III revokes several. Uh, he revokes the Quartering Act. He revokes several of the other acts, and he reduces the tax on the taxes uh, by over two thirds. Okay, New York throws a big party celebrating George III. Puts up a statue in honor of him. Huzzah! Long live the king! Because actually, in this part of our history the American people still believe the king is on their side and all the wicked activity is coming from Parliament. So they love the king because he threw him a bone. He didn't revoke everything, but he threw him a bone. They love the king and they hate Parliament because of all the laws they're passing. So while we're passing these laws, or while we're celebrating the king and the king's revoking laws, Parliament is back in session, creating the Declaratory Act of 1776, and it reads, Parliament assembled, had, hath, and of right, ought to have full power and authority to make laws and statutes of sufficient force and validity to bind the colonies and the people of America, subjects of the crown of Great Britain, in all cases whatsoever. Now this is where we're going to pause for today because I want to give you the rest of what's going on. I want you to be able to connect these dots because this is probably at this period in our history, one of the most important classes that I have at Liberty First University. So I I, I, I just, when I started this, I was just going to gloss over it and give you the, you know, the Cliff Notes version. But this, in my spirit, I feel this is so important. You guys have to have this. Now, let me tell you what. I, this is, this is cutting into my, my revenue. I'm giving away my product here. Because this is important. So, if you feel this is important too, I would ask you to, to support us in any way that you can. You can do it at, by texting IMPACT2020, one word, IMPACT2020 to 33777. Uh, become a member at libertyfirstuniversity.com. Go to chrisannhall.com and donate through the donate button if you don't want to do that. Okay? I want you to see this. I want you to see this. No, Miriam, the, the law that I'm talking about is seven, was, was passed in 1766. The Declaratory Act was passed in 1766. Uh, yeah, right. 1766 is when the Declaratory Act was passed, not 1776. Did I say 1776? I apologize. Thank you. Uh, so when we come back tomorrow, make sure you grab your friends, your family members. Share this on this. We're gonna, We're going to finish this. Share this video so they stay caught up with us, okay? But bring them back tomorrow. Just as a little chat in the chat room. How many of you, after what I've already shown you, have seen what Patrick Henry said about how history repeats? How many of you are are watching the history that I'm teaching you lay before our feet and in front of our faces today. Why? Because history always repeats. And those who do not know their history are doomed to repeat its mistakes. I promise you, this is not historical revision. This is not propaganda, this is truth. And this is something we must know if we're going to restore this. So if this has just been as powerful as I believe it is, share this video with everybody and, may, and have them come back tomorrow when we finish it up. Remember, I am a teach show and not a talk show. You can't come here and not get educated. I promise you that. And this education is so important. We have to learn from the mistakes of our past. We're heading down the wrong path we're heading down a very, very dangerous path. And our children will pay the price. So remember, before you leave, hit the thumbs up because I'm not quite sure that, that um, uh, YouTube is going to enjoy this video enough to let us have the, the, the play that we deserve, the, the viewership that we deserve. So the more you hit the thumbs up, the more they, we override their algorithms, share this, override the algorithms, and we can see what really, really needs to happen. I'm looking at a bunch of people in the room, and less than half of them are, have liked. So please hit the likes. Please hit the shares. Hit the subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet. And come back tomorrow for the conclusion of this amazing education. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless. I will see you tomorrow.